Hi, this is Elliot Fishman, and welcome back to part two of Pitfalls and Errors. We spoke about some of the generic issues, and here's another sort of generic issue I guess I should put in there. There was an article that made the point that at radiology conferences in a tertiary center, there was significant change in management, which I know is true. We had the same thing at Hopkins, but these numbers were so high. 37% of cancer patients presented, provided important information regarding disease in up to 50% of cases, and basically it was every single case had substantial change, lung being the most common, pancreas being the least common. But when you, I tried to look and say, well, what was the error? Were the people who were initially reading it so bad or the people who were reading it as a follow-up so good? It was really neither. What they said is, it should be emphasized, we did not measure the quality of their reports and we did not carry any comparisons between original and interpretive errors. In fact, the original reports were not even available at the time of the conference. We don't know if there was a misdiagnosis, if the oncologist misunderstood whether comparisons were made or information was missing. However, it's the oncologist, the treating oncologist who makes the decisions, and it's his opinion that counts. That's just sheer madness because that means if they're not reading your report correctly or the information they're getting from your report is wrong, they're going to manage the patient incorrectly. So is that the radiologist's fault, the oncologist's fault? Is it the communication network's fault? Well, other articles talk about communication errors in the three classes, errors of documentation, communication of inaccurate or incomplete information, or failures in the loop. But this is kind of that thing where it's just, a, it's just a failure. It's just a breakdown of the system. Someone thinks they know what the report says, but they don't look at the report. I wonder, in fact, how often reports are never even read. I want to do this project at Hopkins, but our system doesn't work well enough that I could tell. I want to know how many reports are never opened. Are they mailed to the wrong person? Did the person not get it? Did they look at it themselves? What exactly happened? I don't know. But you could be making the best radiology reports in the world, and if no one's reading them, it's totally worthless. Okay? Something to think about in your own hospital or clinical practice. Now, let's get a little bit more specific. Let's look at specific problems. And the first one I want to look at is bladder cancer. And I mentioned, or I've mentioned in the past, that we have a conference at Hopkins every other week that I run where we look at misdiagnoses or poor diagnoses or incredible diagnoses or just things we all need to know, things we've read, things we see. And one of them relates to bladder cancer. Now, typically, I would speak about bladder cancer if I was talking about um, staging bladder cancer, looking for meds from bladder cancer. But I'm not going to talk about it like that. I'm not going to talk about a case where the patient has hematuria or the patient sent in for staging bladder cancer. I'm going to ask you, is bladder cancer as an incidental finding? And you're going to say, how is that? Well, I want to know how often it's an incidental finding. And is it missed if it's an incidental finding? And how can you avoid missing it? Well, I'll show you one of the cases that made me think about it. I looked at this case. This was a major malpractice case. A patient comes in abdominal pain, a toxic abdomen. The radiologist reads this non-contrast study as ischemic bowel. Patient goes to surgery, the patient was saved. Good diagnosis, good surgery, patient did great. Um, the radiologist did not comment at that time about that lesion in the bladder. And lo and hold, because this patient survived, three years later the patient has hematuria, now bone mets, and a larger bladder cancer, and the bladder mass 
was there in retrospect, I know, the radiologist is sued and the radiologist lost because obviously they should have recognized the bladder mass. Now, that case is not very subtle, but it does make the point that you need to look at the bladder. And particularly with protocols where the bladder is distended, we're giving water as an oral agent to distend the bladder, you really have to make certain that you look at the bladder on every case, not in cases where there's hematuria or where there's suspicion of bladder pathology, but every single case. Now, there's several things we've noticed, and where we found we were missing things, or potentially outside people were missing things, was when they did a CT scan for something totally unrelated, like aortic aneurysm follow-up, aortic aneurysm evaluation, things which use rapid bolus of contrast. And what happens is, bladder cancers, though we don't think of them as hypervascular lesions, they are mildly vascular, enhancing to about 90 Hounsfield units. And so when the bladder is not distended, you're in great shape. You don't see anything. But when the bladder is distended, just several millimeter lesion is easy to recognize. And so the rules are that incidental bladder lesions are best seen on early phase imaging. And the rule is that any enhancement of the bladder wall should be investigated further and do not assume a subtle bladder enhancement is of no clinical significance. And if in doubt, coronal and sagittal are your friends. Example here, look at the bladder. Look at about seven o'clock. You see I'm circling this little tiny vascular lesion. That was a small transitional cell carcinoma, totally unsuspected. You're uncertain if that's real. Look at the coronal view. It's very, very real indeed. And if you did delayed phase imaging in this patient, bladder is distended, positive contrast, the lesion is somewhat easy to see. Or in this case, when you look quickly, you say this must be partial averaging of the bladder wall with prostate or uterus or something, but there's thickening there, there's enhancement. You don't quite see it well on the uh, volume rendered view at that point, but as you look more carefully at the views, axial and sagittal, you can see the thickening because of the enhancement. It's over a centimeter in length, but it's less than that in, the, in width, but it's subtle, but it's there. And this case also makes the point that sometimes lesions are well seen early, but are not going to be really visualized late because you get partial averaging. Or another case, same thing. Uh, this patient was being evaluated for aortic aneurysm. There it is at about 7 o'clock, a vascular lesion, very nicely seen and very nicely seen also on the coronal views. So a really, really good example. And of course, in this case, if you had delayed phase views, you would have seen it. So we wrote about this because it was so important to us. Shiv Vermont, a really good article, talking about the fact that the presence of a discrete bladder mass or nodule should be considered suspicious for malignancy. And at times, it's very difficult to detect we go on to say that although TCCs are typically hypovascular, they do have enhancement, and any focal hyperenhancement of the bladder urothelium should be considered suspicious for malignancy and worked up further with uh, cystoscopy, for example. And although cystoscopy is typically considered the gold standard, CT is very good at picking up incidental bladder cancers when they're not suspected or the patient has microscopic hematuria. Okay? Very important application, very important to remember. Another process I think that we all know that we miss, and the way we found out about that in this case is 3D imaging. Well, what's the problem? 
missing pulmonary emboli. Now, I'm not talking about pulmonary emboli in a patient where the study is rule out PE. You're hopefully going to find it in those cases. This is a case of abdominal CT where it's stage pancreatic cancer, follow-up pancreatic cancer. What happens is people look quickly at the lower lung fields, typically for the possibility of lung meds. They also look at the thicker sections. Well, because I was doing the 3D, I had all the thin sections, and I would see through the lung fields, and I would see commonly pulmonary emboli that were undiagnosed. And so what we learned and reinforced on ourselves is that every oncology patient is at high risk for PE. Even if you only have a little bit of a lower lung, look carefully. Make certain the patient doesn't have pulmonary emboli. And this is more common in certain patients. Pancreatic cancer is the one you think about. But you need to look carefully. Articles have shown that up to 5% of oncology patients have unsuspected pulmonary emboli. So that's 1 in 20, which is very high, which means that on an average day, I should be seeing at least two of these. And the importance of looking at thin section CT. Don't assume just to look at the thicks. You got to use the rule of looking at the thins. So one way of thinking about things is that in any oncology patient, no matter what their ex says, rule out pancreatic mass, stage pancreatic cancer, stage gastric cancer, stage lymphoma, you need to also think rule out PE. Now, obviously, if the patient's getting a full chest, you have many more areas to look at. If it's only an abdomen, you might have, you know, 5 to 10% of the uh, vasculature seen. But look at examples. Here's a case, pancreatic uh, cancer, incidental pulmonary embolism, right lower lung, very nicely seen there, and very nicely seen here as we go from axial to coronal view. Or this case. Again, nice study, but look at that classic pulmonary emboli, right lower lung, very easy to recognize a few more images of that, nothing very tricky, and here it is on the coronal view, nicely defined. You'll notice that in the cases I showed you, they were all right-sided lesions. Now, I have some left-sided ones, I promise you, but for whatever reason, 95% of these isolated incidental PEs are on the right side. So I tell people, and I'm telling you, if you're too busy to look at the lungs for PE, look at half the lungs. Look only on the right side. If you look only on the right, you'll get 90% of the cases. So that's not a great strategy, but it's better than nothing. A recent article by Charlie White did speak about the importance of looking at the lower lung fields that an abdominal CT, it's very common to miss incidental pulmonary emboli. Now, sometimes people argue and say, well, you know, the small pulmonary emboli, yes, they're real, but is it of importance? Is it simply maybe not dots, that maybe we don't need to treat every patient with pulmonary emboli? These little tiny dots perhaps aren't that important. Now, not every case we pick up is a tiny dot. Sometimes it's big PEs, but a lot of them are smaller PEs. But the issue is, although people always speak about perhaps simply monitoring these patients and not treating them, everybody ends up getting treated. We need a better understanding of who should or should not get treatment, perhaps. But at this point, no one feels comfortable not treating a patient. Remember, also, I'm showing you the lower lungs. I don't know what the burden of clot is in the pulmonary arteries. So perhaps you should repeat the studies. Typically what we've found at Hopkins is that patients usually will get treated and they will not repeat the PE studies, which is probably a reasonable strategy. Now what else? Gastric tumors are another area of great error. And when I speak about the stomach, I talk about everything being protocol. Well, if you look at this case and the stomach's well distended, you're able to pick up a very, very tiny polyp. Easy and obvious. 
or in this case, a stomach swell distended in a patient with abdominal pain, and you see an unsuspected finding, which is diffuse thickening of the antrum of the stomach. You can look at it on these views as well. It's asymmetric thickening. This is not lack of distension and uh, normal or normal uh, antrum. This is infiltration. This is tumor. As I put in coronal view, you see it even better. You see the ulceration. You see the tumor. You see the fact the patient has food matter in the stomach due to gastric outlet obstruction of some sort. And again, you're able to see that because the stomach is well distended. Now, we were not looking for gastric cancer in that case, but the point is it's always a possibility. If the stomach's always well distended, if there's gastric pathology, you're going to see it. Because what do you do with a case like this? Look at the stomach. Is that normal or abnormal? Is it lack of distension or does the patient have lymphoma or Menetrier's disease or something else? Well, it's really hard when you're looking at these images. In this case, you sort of maybe say, yeah, it's funny enhancement in the stomach. Maybe there's a lesion there, but does that mean you're bringing the patient back? Do you do endoscopy? What do you do? In the old days of CT, if the stomach wasn't distended, you stopped the scan and gave them another cup. Now you find that the stomach's not distended. The patient's 20 miles away. You can't be rescanning patients. So our rule is to avoid this is always give up every patient a 1,000 cc's of water, the last 250 when they get on the table. And in this case, if that was done, you would have seen these multiple polyps in the patient's stomach. And what you can see in this case very nicely, this patient had multiple adenomatous polyps, very unusual. There were over 100 of them. But look how obvious it is when the stomach's distended. And when the stomach's not distended, it was impossible to look at. The stomach is an area with all sorts of uh, pseudo lesions. What do you do with this case? Patient referred for gastric mass, and it kind of looks like a gastric mass, perhaps. But I notice the patient has cirrhosis. When a patient has cirrhosis, I'm always concerned about varices. And so when you go from arterial phase to venous phase, you realize this patient had very large varices. So you can't have gastric masses simulated by varices. You can have gastric masses simulated by food in the stomach, almost acting like a bezoar, but you can do very well. But my rule is if I see the liver and the liver looks cirrhotic, you better be thinking about pseudotumors in the periodic region, in the hyalur region, subcarinal zone, and almost everywhere. Now, another pitfall I've seen is a case like this. And let me tell you a little bit of the story. This patient was sent to me as a gastric gist tumor. Gist tumors, as we know, arise off the stomach, typically exophytic, preoperative planning. And so I look at this study and say, look at that mass, classic gist tumor, very nice. And it does have a little bit of enhancement. But when I started doing the reconstructions, I noticed the enhancement was a bit unusual, a bit much for a gist tumor. But what I didn't notice was the relationship to the patient's left lobe of the liver. In fact, the lesion appears to be attached. Now, in this patient, the requisition said gist tumor, so I was perfectly set up. And I knew the lesion enhanced differently, and I mentioned that in the report, but I still said unusual enhancement for a gist tumor. I was doing follow-up in this case, and to my surprise, it said hemangioma. I figured there must be a typo. When I looked harder, there was no typo. The lesion I'm looking at was called a gist tumor. 
was a large hemangioma, but it was exophytic. Remember, we always see hemangiomas inside of the liver, essentially always, typically right lobe. Here it's exophytic, and it confused us because it really simulated a lesion. So things that are next to each other can simulate other pathology. In this case, the trick was to be able to see the left lobe of the liver. Now, in saying that, we learned from our mistakes. This was a patient referred in as an angiosarcoma of the liver. A very unusual diagnosis. I was interested in the case. And I see this vascular lesion coming off the liver, which had been biopsied as the angiosarc. When you look at the images on axial, you realize what you're dealing with is an exophytic hemangioma, very much like the last case with peripheral enhancement and puddling. And here's a few more images of this lesion. So really, it was my mistake. I should have recognized this by the enhancement pattern, by its location as a hemangioma. So you want to be very, very careful. This case, we call it hemangioma. Now, how did the pathologist call an angiosarcoma? It's because the pathologist was told there was a tumor and a biopsy came back vascular. He called it angiosarcoma. It was hemangioma. So the good news in this patient, we told him correctly. The issue was they operated anyway because the patient had symptoms, which is fine in, you know, in that case. But the point is you need to be very, very careful. Uh, at times, lesions are exophytic. At times, lesions have atypical appearances. And it can be indeed be very challenging. Now, let me just make a few other comments about the liver. Here's one comment about the importance of arterial phase. Cirrhotic liver, hepatomas can be very small. You can see a couple lesions here in the dome and in the right lobe. If you wait 30 seconds more, the lesions become isodense. Timing is everything. I showed you an example about the liver with varices. Here was a patient referred in for a pancreatic mass in the body and tail, and it kind of looks like a mass. And the question was resectability, and it kind of looks like an infiltrating process. Tough to determine resectability till you go to the venous phase, and everything you're looking at is simply large varices. Here it is in a few more projections. So you want to be very careful in the face of cirrhosis, calling things adenopathy or masses. Often the collaterals can simulate tumors. So again, a very, very important uh, area to uh, think about. Now, there are a number of other things I want to discuss, and one of them is pancreatic pathology and pitfalls in that. And with that, let's take a five-minute break and come back and start again. See you in five. Thanks a lot.